Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Impact Rock. Um, this is my wife, Sarah. And then we have Andrew and Kim. And, um, and it's an honor to point you to Jesus each and every week. It's an honor to stand up here and rave about Jesus. Today I'm preaching on God's love for us and us responding in, in like. Responding with the same type of love. So I want to pose a question that, that's in the ballpark, so allow me a little bit of leeway here. Why exactly do people fall in love? Why do people fall in love? Let's deviate from our love for God, but why do people fall in love? So I have my message complete, and it was on the love of God and us loving God. Um, and honestly, I was looking for like secular content that supported my message. I really was. And I was so thrilled that I found it immediately. I found like a non-Christian um, study and, and article and papers that I was amazed completely supported what I was going to point out in the spiritual realm. Um, according to a paper written by the American University in Cairo, uh, I believe their mascot is the Golden Gophers, American University in Cairo, um, the most common reasons why we fall in love is this. Intimacy, passion, and commitment. When I read that, I'm like, man, I, I, couldn't, have, I couldn't have planned that any better. Intimacy, passion, and commitment. That's the reasons why people fall in love. So I just want to read a little bit from that paper and that study. Once again, I'm not reading scripture right now. I'm reading from a study from that university. Uh, falling in love for intimate reasons, so we're talking about intimacy, can be described as having a basic or base-level friendship. But it lacks commitment and passion. Everyone likes to feel cared for and loved. People want to have an emotional connection. And for basic friendships, um, they allow an emotional connection to take place without the risk of truly getting hurt. But again, this lacks commitment. In commitment, we risk our hearts, we risk getting hurt, we risk getting disappointed or rejected. So the next one was passion. And they, they wrote that letting ourselves fall in love because of desire or strong feelings for a person is normal. Passionate love is developed as a result of feelings that lead to attraction and romance. Uh, and it talks about when you see someone that you like, you're captivated by something about them, Oftentimes, there's something physical about them, um, and thank God that I, I, I'm already married, because the first thing it referenced was hair. It said, oftentimes, it's hair and eyes and clothing, and um, I wear a lot of, like, um, joggers. You know, I, I dress comfortably in T-shirts, man. My wardrobe was full of black T-shirts, so thank God, you know, that I'm happily married. Otherwise, I'd just be out of luck, because I don't got the hair, and I don't, I dress like sneakers, so yeah, God is good. Um, it says falling in love for passion often results in neglecting intimacy. And when they talked about intimacy, they really stressed friendship. It results in neglecting intimacy and commitment. And then commitment. People who seek commitment want stability and a healthy relationship, the theory claims. But commitment alone is not satisfying. I made that point a couple times. Commitment alone is not satisfying. I thought that was so interesting. 
passion and affection must be developed in order for this type of love to go beyond mere security and become truly satisfying. Isn't that interesting? So what's, what's the right way to fall in love? What, what's the wrong way? Of these, what's the wrong way to fall in love? There's not one. There's not a, I don't think there's a right way, there's a wrong way. And at this point, we're going to segue to what's the right way to come to love God? What's the wrong way? There's not a right way. There's not a wrong way. But here's what I really want to drive home today is there needs to be the development of the other areas as well as the areas that come naturally to us. Maybe, you know, passion. Okay? Maybe you came to know God and and you started to fall in love with God because of a passionate moment. Maybe it was a just an incredible worship service where everything was just right and it was on point and and the music was incredible and the lighting was awesome and even the air smelled like honeysuckle and it was just perfect. And so through this passionate encounter with God, we came to know him. But I'm telling you right now that without intimacy, without friendship, and without commitment, that experience that we had, it's not enough. It's not satisfying. At the end of this message, the, the, uh, at the end of this message, at the end of this letter, this paper that I, that I read, the author wrote something that I was like, attaboy, it's a way to really put yourself out there. It's a way to just take that risk. He, he finishes it by saying, love is very complex. I'm like, well, fair enough. Yeah, but it's like, give me something substantial. Love is complex. So at least I got the title of my message from that, that bold statement, the complexity of love. We read throughout Scripture the importance of loving God. But how do we love God? How do we grow in love with God? How does it become more than just a superficial connection with God or a connection out of need? And how does it become something rich and satisfying and true? Something that we are able to just then put everything on the line. For some, even to the point of dying for the sake of Christ. It's a big topic. We will not get there in this message. We will not. We'll touch on it, and, and we'll get there in coming weeks, but it's a big topic. I want to read Webster or Merriam or Oxford, whatever the dictionary. I don't remember which one I, I went online. These are, the, these are the definitions of intimacy, passion, and commitment. Intimacy. Close familiarity or friendship. Closeness, togetherness, mutual affection and warmth. Closeness of observation or knowledge of a subject. For some of us, that, that right there, that, that, that summarizes our relationship with God. There's a closeness, there's a togetherness, there's a familiarity, there's a friendship. There's knowledge. This was the definition of passion. It was much more succinct. 
The first definition was strong and barely controllable emotion. Now, for some of you, that's that's easy. Because for some of you, you're you're emotional. For some of you, this is not an issue. You don't ever have to worry about being able to barely control your emotions because that is just not you. But look at the second definition. The suffering and death of Jesus is known as the passion, the passion of the Christ, the suffering and the death of Jesus. And then the third, commitment. And whether it's Webster who provides this, man, this just resonated with my heart. A promise, a firm decision, agreement, or pledge to do something in the future. The act of binding yourself to a course of action. we done that in Christ Jesus? Because I promise you this right now. And and I don't want to stand up here and talk about us the whole time. I promise you this right now. This is what God has done for us. God has committed himself to us. He has bound himself to us. All throughout scripture we see promise for a future. And then we see the sending of God's only son, Jesus. In God, we see commitment. In God, we see passion. He is passionate for us. When we, talk, when we read about like the, the jealousy of God, he is jealous for us. He is passionate for us. He wants us. He doesn't want to share us. It says that there's a passage in James chapter 4 that says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It makes us an enemy with God. Why? Because he's passionate for us. He wants us to have life and life to the fullest, and it's not found outside of him. Friendship. Intimacy. I know we're all built differently, you guys. When we walk into this room, we're all built differently. And what takes place in, in, I'll, I'll point to an empty seat so that I'm not like pointing to like, you know, this guy or anything right here. What takes place in this seat or that seat is different than what takes place in this seat where I stand in front of. When I come in, man, I am, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you right now before I, before I can fully exalt you, and I want to fully exalt you. So, Lord, here's the, here's the heaviness that I'm feeling right now, and I just start unloading. And then I'm like, but, Lord, you're so good. Even now I feel you lifting. Great are you, Lord. And then I... I just go for it and I start worshiping him. That's what happens here. And I have no problem with intimacy. But some of y'all do. And and I'm not pointing fingers. We're built different. We come to the Lord different. So I went to a a pastor's conference a couple years ago. And they were focusing on worship. And he said there's three paradigms of worship. Okay, there's three, you know, thought processes and structures and, and of worship. And they call them encounter, mission, and formation. And a lot of times people choose where they come to church based on which of those paradigms they like the best. And then sometimes the husband and wife walk in, um, and the husband likes one paradigm, and the wife likes one paradigm, and sometimes the husband and wife and kids walk in, um, or whatever the combination is, and everyone has a different preference. And I'm here to say that there's not one above the other, but those three encounter, mission, 
and formation. So that encounter, the, the Sundays are just, we're just immersed in this encounter with God. Those are the worship-heavy services. One of the essential things you got to look for is in this setting, if you're not careful, staff or worship team members can become producers instead of just a conduit for worship. And congregants can become consumers instead of worshipers because they like the experience. They like the encounter. And I like the experience. I like the encounter. But when I come in this place, we're not, we're not to be consumers. We're here for Jesus. We're here to exalt Jesus. And it's amazing that we encounter him the way we do. But we're here to exalt Jesus first and foremost. That second one, mission. Mission. Man, the road for all you got to look into when you go to a church where they're in that paradigm is that Sundays can become a sales pitch. A sales pitch for what they're doing. A sales pitch for who they are. A sales pitch, you know, for that church instead of about the kingdom of God. The staff and the worship team can become teachers and facilitators. The congregants become students. That's a good thing as long as the focus and the message is true. And then the third one was formation. Formation. It's, it's you know, I've, Many a man I've met throughout the years that say, ah, I could do without worship. Some guys even stayed, like have stayed in like out in the foyer for worship. They're like, ah, I, I can do without worship. But the, the preaching, man, that's why I come. I come for the preaching. I come for the teaching. A and that's that formation. Sundays are catechismic. And unfortunately, sometimes they're aimed at, at followers of Jesus only, and there's no room for those who are like, I I'm not a follower of Jesus. I want to know about Jesus. We need all three. We come to Jesus one way, but we need to grow in Jesus in all three. There's not one that's wrong. There's not one that's right. We need to be open-hearted and open-minded to receive the bigness of what God has for us. I love worship, and I love teaching, and, and, and I, I love um, you know, the mission, and that we're reaching our community and reaching the world. And it's okay if you slant one way more than the other, but we need all three. When we're coming to relationship with God, it's okay if you slant towards passion or intimacy or commitment, but we need all three. Babe, which of those three would you be willing to compromise on? My commitment, my passion, or our intimacy? Yes. In our marriage. Which, which one of those... None. Jacob, in our, in our brotherhood, in our friendship, which of those can we sacrifice? Our commitment to stand one another, to be loyal to one another, to point each other to Christ, our passion for him, our friendship, our togetherness. This sounds a lot like I'm talking about relationship here. And I am. We can't make God about religion. We have to make it about relationship. 
have to make it about growing in him. I want to read a couple interesting verses. They're very interesting. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, your Bible apps to John 14, we're going to read out of John 14, then we're going to read out of John 15. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In this word, obey or keep, because depending on the translation you're reading, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Or if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a continuous verb. Meaning, if you love me, you will keep and keep on keeping my commandments. If you love me, you will obey and keep obeying my commandments. It's the same continuous verb tense that we see with the scripture when it says, knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be opened to you. I, I guess ask first. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It's a continuous verb. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. It's the same thing here. If you love me, you will keep and keep on keeping my commandments. John 15, 14 says this. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. What are you seeing in these two verses? What are you seeing? Let me ask you, and this is rhetorical, so don't, don't respond. I'm not trying to trick anybody. Rhetorical from Julio Rhetoric, the Greek philosopher. Are you seeing obligation? As I read that, are you hearing obligation? Is the punk rock inside of you rising up? Or you're like, ah, you're putting chains on me. You're putting parameters on me. Are you hearing obligation? Responsibility. Being committed to something that you, you don't know that you're entirely signed up for. Or are we seeing empowerment as the result of love with God? I want to read John 14, 15 out of the Passion Translation. It says, this is Jesus talking. It says, loving me empowers you to obey my commandments. And I didn't always, when I used to read those passages, I didn't always see this empowerment. I just saw the obligation part. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know what? We, we've all been manipulated, and I don't know a single person that likes to be manipulated. And we've all been manipulated. And because of that, because of that slant, because of our hurts, and that we've been manipulated by humans, we read this, and we think from this human perspective, instead of the fact that this is God Almighty speaking, and he is not human, and he is not flawed, and he is not manipulating us. He says, if you love me, you'll have this ease of keeping my commandments. If you love me, you'll have this, this passion and this ability, you'll be empowered to keep my commandments.
commandment. Not the manipulative, well, if you really love me, you would keep my commandments. Friends, too often we read scripture and we, we view it from the lens of our own humanity and we think, well, I, I've been, hu- I've been you know, manipulated before and I've been you know, held down and oppressed before and, and here's God trying to do the same thing. When we, when we spend time in scripture and time with the Lord, let it be an open dialogue with the Lord. Lord, what does this mean? I don't, I don't understand what this means, Lord. Would you show me what this means? And just stop. You don't got to finish the chapter. You don't even got to finish the verse. What you got to do is finish the conversation. Mid-verse, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Holy Spirit, Jesus raved about you and said, you guide me into all truth. And I just, what does this mean? Show me the truth in this, Holy Spirit. Don't finish the sentence. Don't finish the verse. Don't finish the chapter. Finish the dialogue. It's about a relationship. Loving me empowers me to keep my commandments. Loving him. So how do we get to that place of loving him? How do we get to that place of truly of loving him? So what do I what do I even mean by love? I don't and what a what a complex word. What what is love? You can't put it in a box. You can't But I do know this, that in all the definitions that run through my mind and all the ways that I think of loving, there's relationship behind it. I understand I love my wife and I love pizza and that's so unfortunate that we have the same word for both. Jacob, I don't know if you're agreeing with me. I think you you like that. Obeying and following Jesus is the result of loving Jesus. So how do we get there? Obeying and following Jesus is the result, not the determiner of our love for Jesus. We're going to read a couple passages from Matthew chapter 22 if you want to If you want to turn there, you can. And it's an interesting chapter. So let me kind of paint the picture of what what we're seeing here. Um, Devious people are going to keep coming to Jesus to trap him with his words. Okay? We're going to see Pharisees come, and they're going to see Sadducees come, and they're going to see, like, a a Pharisee lawyer come. So, like, you know, bringing out the big guns, right? Like the Johnny Cochran of of Pharisees. And we're going to see this pattern, and we're going to see Jesus do this. We're going to see Jesus point people to the Father. We're going to see Jesus talk about the need for love, loving God, loving one another. And then then we're going to see Jesus kind of challenge their thought process and their thinking and their tradition and challenge them to think bigger and to be okay even with not having this firm answer. So Matthew 22, verse 15, Then the Pharisees went, and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him. See, the Pharisees had disciples too. Along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions. For you are not swayed by appearances. Boy, they're laying it on thick, right? 
Tell us then, what you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. They brought him a, a Roman coin. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And it had Caesar's likeness and Caesar's inscription. And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. In, in the Passion, verse 21 says this, you know, Caesar's, they replied, and Jesus said, precisely, for the coin bears the image of the emperor Caesar. Well, then you should pay the emperor what is due to the emperor, but because you bear the image of God, give back to God all that belongs to him. We bear the likeness of God. Are we giving ourselves to God just as faithfully as the citizens of Rome gave taxes to Caesar? We have the image of God. We carry the image of God. We are his. And Jesus is sitting here saying, give, give to God what is his. Give to Caesar what is his. But here's the point he's making. Give unto God. What is his? Friends, in this relationship with God, it's supposed to be a free giving of self, not obligation. When it comes to obeying his commands, it's not obligation. It's not religion. It's relationship. Down to verse 34, still in Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they called a meeting to discuss how to trap Jesus. Then one of them, a religious scholar, posed this question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that's within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law, of the law and prophets. This, this, this is what I pull from when I stand up each week and we pray about generosity real quick. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your body, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your will, with all your emotions. Love the Lord your God with your time. Love the Lord your God with your availability. Love the Lord your God with your plans. Love the Lord your God with your hurts. Love the Lord your God with your betrayals, your abuses. Love the Lord your God with your disappointments. Love the Lord your God with everything. At the end of this message, I'm not going to have this amazing aha moment. I'm not going to have this amazing thing at the end of this message that says, ah, oh, that's how I love God. It doesn't exist. That one trump card where it's like M. Night Shyamalan, this, boom. And we're like, oh, crazy. That's awesome. It was right in front of us the whole time. It starts with spending time with God. 
It starts with dialoguing with God. It starts with talking with God. Don't just think it, say it. Lord, I'm hurting. I need your touch. Don't just think it, say it. Lord, I'm hurting. I need your touch. Lord, what an awesome day. Let's celebrate it together. Include him in our victories. Lord, I need you. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to leave my family in this moment. I just, I'm, I've hit a wall. I don't know what to do. So I need you. I need something beyond me, Lord. I need you. I want to finish out with that. At the end of Matthew 22, verse 41, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now I love this because, you know, their answer is they're talking about David, and he you know, says, Ah, but, you know, David says, Lord. And so he's, you know, he, it's this challenging question that left them dumbfounded. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the introduction, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the anointed one? What do you think about the Messiah? We see such humility in Jesus. We see Jesus rave about the Father. We see Jesus in dialogue with the Father saying, Lord, what is your will? What do you want me to do? You have Jesus telling his disciples, saying, I don't do anything unless my father's told me. I don't do anything unless my father's told me to do it. Raves about the father. Pushes all the glory to the father. And then, when he gets to that point where he's near, where, where he's not going to be on this earth much longer, he starts raving about the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go away. It is way better that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit won't be sent. The Holy Spirit, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll remind you of everything I've said and done. He'll remind you of everything. He's awesome. And he starts raving about the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's going to teach you. He's going to comfort you. Basically saying, hey, the things I've done, Holy Spirit's going to do it too. So we see in Jesus, we see in Jesus humility. We see in Jesus, like, teachability. We see in Jesus patience. We see in Jesus something that is going to challenge, I mean, there's a lot of things that we see in Jesus that are going to challenge all of us. But this is going to challenge some of you. Because we see in Jesus gathering. And some of us just aren't very good at gathering. Some of us are very good at gathering. What we see in him is gathering. We see the desire of Jesus wanting to be that God is glorified, but we also see that he wants them to know him. Love is definitely complex. It's wonderful. It's awesome. every relationship I have, every friendship I have, there was either me pursuing that person, that person pursuing me, or us mutually pursuing each other. And that's how we have relationships. And that's how we have friendship. And I'm just letting you guys know, you can't have friendship with God if there's no pursuit on your end. He's, he's pursuing, but you got to pursue back. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. As opposed to, I'm Jesus. I'm kicking the door in. I'm Jesus. I can do what I want. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If we open the door to him, he comes in. And he sits with us and he talks with us. This is very relational. He sits with us. We enjoy tea together. You don't drink tea? What, what do you drink? He enjoys it. Enjoy it with Jesus. He talks. He listens. But there has to be that opening. John 3, 16, 17, and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned or damned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Condemned. Damned. I'm just... To not know the love of God as real and personal and intimate, we're, con we're condemned already. That's what this is saying. If you haven't believed, we're condemned already. We're, we're hurting already. We're... we're we're lost already. I don't have the quick fix. Quick answer. The M. Night Shyamalan reveal. Next week I'm going to talk about friendship and I'm going to talk about faithfulness. We can be faithful because we see it demonstrated by God. We can be a friend because we see it demonstrated by God. We can be passionate because he first is passionate for us. We can be intimate with God because he was first intimate with us. We can be committed to God because he was first committed to us. All I'm going to ask you to do is look to our awesome God, see what he does, and do the same. We close our eyes. Lord, as a pastor, I'm just being honest with you. I hate that I finish this message and I just don't have this strong, compelling answer. But Lord, I also, I'm at peace about it because I know that nurturing a relationship takes time, takes pursuit. Nurturing love, it takes pursuit, it takes time. And Lord, that's what we want to do and that's where we want to get. Lord, we declare right now that if we have merely obeyed you out of obligation. Lord, we repent of that. And we ask your help. Lord, we want to obey you out of the empowering work of your love. So Lord Jesus, help us with that. Holy Spirit, guide us into that truth. Lord, help us. Lord, you know the things that come easy to us, but you know the things, Lord, that don't. And we just ask for your help with them all. Friends, just take a moment and just dialogue with the Lord right now. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, just open that conversation with him. Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen. I don't know how much time each of us generally spends with the Lord. But I promise you this, if we will up that time, that intentional time with him, it'll be the best addition to our day. It will. It'll be the best addition to our week. It, it will, that intentional time of saying, Jesus, I'm just here to be with you. I've got, I've got three minutes, but you're getting all three of my minutes. I will n- not be swayed. Or Lord, I've got 13 minutes, and you've got all 13 of my minutes. My phone is off. My watch is off. My iPad is off. My AirPod, it's all off, Lord. Let's grow in love. Let's open dialogue. Let's talk. Let's listen. Let's love. I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day, my friends. You are loved. Go love.